with our atmosphere even, but these, these radio bursts from the sun, they come directly from the sun. So we see these, uh, these signatures of these really fast particles directly on the sun before the isosolar even interacts with the Earth's magnetosphere or atmosphere or anything like that. And uh, what does uh, the data you, you work on look like? Um, so the data I work on um, initially, when you just get your data from a telescope, is just a text file with a lot of numbers. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot of numbers. But after a lot of processing and some, using some nice programs written by scientists to... Uh, this, this data can either be turned into an image or uh, what we use very frequently is something called the dynamic spectrum, which is are basically different radio frequencies, so different channels, just like the way you would tune your radio. You go from one channel to the next channel. That's basically moving through, through frequencies. We do the same with the sun. We look at different, different channels over time. And through time, sometimes we see a burst, uh, a radio burst. And that's that corresponds to activity on the sun. And why are these important? So why are you looking at them? Well, uh, there there's many <laughs> there's many aspects that makes these important. So first of all, um, studying solar eruptions is very important for what we call space weather. Uh, so as I mentioned, these particles are very very fast, and they're charged particles, and if um, they travel at speeds comparable to speed of light, we have a lot of technology in space. And sometimes the eruptions on the sun can actually have a trajectory that comes towards the Earth. And obviously these particles will bang into all the technology we have in space, astronauts that happen to be spacewalking, <laughs> and, um, where, and it could actually damage uh, satellites, for example, and instruments on board satellites if they don't have uh, proper shielding or if they're pointing right at them. Uh, another issue is that when we have a really big solar storms, and it reaches the Earth, it can induce currents in our atmosphere that then it can induce currents in the ground. And currents in the ground can then travel through power lines and they can raise the current levels inside transformers. And it actually happened uh, uh, some stages that transformers were fried up because of solar eruptions. So that, that is the big picture. But the small picture, the things I look at is because these, all these eruptions are now well understood, and it is very important to study the sun and what's happening on the sun to be able to predict these eruptions, uh, predict all these energetic particles, and in some way be able to forecast them and forecast all the properties of a solar eruption that would make it easier for us to cope with an Earth-directed event. Mm -hmm. How about, can I add something? And I thought this shield, these shields that you're talking about in the instruments, are they efficient? Do you know about that? Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, for example, uh, if you have like an incoming solar storm, um, you could point your telescopes away. So for example, telescopes have cameras and some of them are monitoring the sun. And in those cameras, you can actually see the particles hitting the detectors. So if you had sensitive instrument like that, you could either turn it off or point it away uh, by maneuvering the telescope. Um, while what's happening is we're sending, uh, we've actually a Sparker Solar Probe which is being sent directly at the sun, that has a heat shield to protect it from radiation and incoming particles as well. So similar technology could probably be implemented for a future telescope if there is a likelihood of really bad events happening, for example, that would affect the satellites. And also there is a degradation of the instruments on board satellites over time. So the more they're hit by these particles, the, in time they're more likely to just slowly degrade and not produce accurate readings or things like that. And now let's go one sec back from space to Earth. Uh, there is one telescope in particular that you're using, which is called LOFAR, right? Yes. Do you want to say something about it? Um, so uh, LOFAR is um, it's a new telescope that consists, instead of consisting of giant dish, like the dishes you put on the house roof to see all the nice TV channels. So instead of being made up of dishes, like something like that, uh, it's made up of a lot of antennas. So there's a lot of antennas distributed mainly in the Netherlands, where the core is, and also in Europe, in, in, um, throughout Europe, from all the way from Ireland to Poland, and they're all connected. So that is a lot of cable connecting all the, those antennas. And what LOFAR does, it, it combines all these antennas into a huge telescope 
So the number of antennas and the distance between antennas is the equivalent of making a big giant dish that's pointed in the sky and it observes the sun and also other astronomical objects. So basically it's one big telescope as big as like half of Europe. Yes, yes. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> are these solar flares, um, how can I say it, like, is there a pattern or are they just sporadically random? And why would they be? Okay, so um, the sun actually has an 11-year solar cycle from which it goes to full, from periods of low activity to high activity. And we call the low activity solar minimum and then high activity solar maximum. And during solar maximum, you get most of the flares. During solar minimum, and we're entering solar minimum now, there's almost no activity. And in solar maximum, you get the largest numbers of flares because uh, the sun produces the most sunspots. And it does that because of the uh, magnetic field activity on the sun. And because the sun goes through these solar cycles, and uh, during solar maximum, a lot of flares can happen. But... Um, Different solar the cycles, solar cycles are different. So, for example, this last solar cycle, uh, which is solar cycle twenty four, and it's uh, number twenty four ever since solar cycles started being numbered when people noticed activity was happening on the sun, um, was had a lot less activity than the previous solar cycle from the years two thousands solar cycle twenty three. So, solar cycles are different, but the majority, the big flares happened during the solar maximum. And that's when monitoring the sun is uh, more of a priority. And before I ask another question, I will, I'm failing at the beauty of the cookies, so I'm taking <coughs> one. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, poor me. Bye-bye diet. Um, and, and so what is the difference between a flare and a coronal mass ejection? Okay, glad you asked that. <laughs> so what, hap uh, what happens on the sun is that in the corona, in the solar atmosphere, uh, we, get, we suddenly get an explosion. And that explosion, if we look at it at ultraviolet wavelengths, and sometimes you can see with naked eye, so at, uh, at visible light wavelengths, uh, it's, it's a sudden brightening, a sudden release of energy uh, into the solar corona. But this, this sudden release of energy can also be accompanied by a sudden release of material, so uh, plasma, like in the solar atmosphere, and that material is thrown out into space, and that's a coronal mass ejection. And that, this is uh, what we're concerned about. We're concerned about coronal mass ejections traveling towards the Earth, because they can travel with speeds of about 3,000 kilometers per second, not per hour, per second. They're very fast, and there are a lot of particles just coming into our direction. And also their magnetic field can interact with the magnetic field of the Earth. And then we see the nice side of coronal mass ejections, such as the aurora. But we also get a lot of really fast particles entering uh, the Earth's magnetic field, for example. And so that's why you would get the aurora or northern lights only in the north because of the shape of the yeah. magnetic. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes, so, be, uh, so if you think about the fridge magnet or any bar magnet, the magnetic field has a, what we, we call it a dipolar shape. So that means the lines converge in at, the, uh, at each edge of the bar magnet. So if we have like a little rectangle at each of the, at the top and the bottom, that's where the magnetic field lines converge. So they, they just go in. And this is what happens to the Earth. The Earth is a massive uh, uh, fridge magnet. And all the particles that hit the Earth's magnetosphere, then they can then travel along Earth's magnetic field line and they travel down towards the poles. And that's where it's most likely to see the aurora in the near polar regions and Scandinavian countries and Nordic countries <laughs> <laughs> and Canada. Canada is very lucky with the aurora. Uh, but also when, it's, when a really, really big solar storm is happening, that means more particles at faster speeds are being sent towards us, the mighty field of the CME is more significant, and then we can get uh, particles precipitating, that's what we call it, particles reaching regions at mid to low latitudes on Earth, so we could see them as far down as the UK, uh, Ireland, and more southern countries. And this has happened in uh, 2003, I believe, so that was the solar cycle before the solar cycle, that was much more significant in terms of flaring activity. 
And uh, during the Halloween storms in October 2003, that's what it calls Halloween yeah. storms. All the important solar storms get some, some weird yeah. names. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, one of the last big ones, which was in March 2015, is now known as the St. Patrick storm. Okay. Yeah, because... So, yeah. <laughs> so during the Halloween storms in October 2003, I have uh, friends in Ireland who could actually see a spectacular show of the Aurora in Ireland. And some people in Netherlands saw it, so... The aurora was actually quite spectacular at mid latitude. Okay, so there is hope for a lot of us. Yeah, there's hope for aurora in Helsinki as well. One hey. day. Hey, we have seen it in 2015, and there's a perfect storm. There was oh. a very nice aurora in Helsinki. I have you ever here. seen an aurora? I've never seen an aurora. Oh, never seen an aurora. Have you, Stephanie? Very faintly, like okay. kind of okay. like if you squinted and imagined, you could see it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, let's imagine that this very dark sky is actually green. Yes. Yeah. We were in a course and we could see it mm -hmm. near Tampere. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. I've seen the, 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 this famous St. Patrick storm. Yes. The whole sky was completely green. I'm jealous. It was wow. great. I'm jealous. Yeah. One day. One day. One day. It's just very sad that the solar minimum is coming now. Yeah. Sun's not doing anything. Yeah. Let's wait some years. But that's good for our instruments, right? Well, you know, as solar scientists, like, we're sad. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's also bad for our instruments because we want more events to happen to show people what the sun can actually do to us. <laughs> but then our instruments sit there and we just record uh, normal images of the sun doing nothing. <laughs> okay. So like today, we can't get more instruments out there, which we desperately need to have more instruments in space monitoring the sun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, is there any radio telescope in space? Um, so there are no, there aren't radio telescopes in space, but there are radio antennas on board satellites like the Solar Dynamics Observatory, uh, for example. And uh, what they have is an antenna that records these um, dynamic spectra. So it records different many channels and over time, and then you can see the solar activity through those. So basically, what what you do is to is a combination of all this radio data from different telescopes to to make a big picture, or do you focus mostly on on LOFAR? Also, uh, LOFAR, and um, I also use the Nansei radio heliograph, for example. They they're capable of actually making images uh, via a, well a process called interferometry, which is complicated. <laughs> we'll call it magic for now. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Rofer and Ansari are able to make images because it consists of many antennas and then their signals are collated and a lot of black box magic and an image comes out. But when you have a single antenna, you just record a signal at of some frequency. For example, like your radio antenna, you can uh, receive signal uh, at frequencies in the FM band, which is a really short frequency range, but it's tuned to that particular band. In, in space, you can increase your frequency range or on Earth and record over many, many frequencies. And we see the FM band as well. Uh, the simplest example of interferometry is when you have two antennas at a certain distance. And the distance between the antennas is basically equivalent to the size of a big radio dish. And the larger the distance, the bigger the size of your radio dish means you can see a lot more detail in the sky so you can zoom in more and more in the image to see smaller and smaller things um, so when you have uh, two antennas the if you have radio waves coming from the sky um, and they're coming at an angle so they're not coming from straight ahead straight up they're coming from a source at an angle somewhere in the sky uh, then one of the one of uh, one of the antennas sees this radio this particular one particular radio wave uh, at an earlier time than the other antenna. And that means there's a delay in the signal. And that delay in the signal is a measure of, uh, is, is a measure of where, of, well, simply putting it, is, a, is basically where your source, a measure of where your source is in the sky. Mm. And if you have moved many, many antennas and you combine them, then you can make an image. Mm. So why don't we have a global radio telescope? Uh, well, because those antennas need to be connected, their signals need to be correlated together uh, to get all the delays, make an image. Um, and, uh, well, the reason for that is 
Uh, you need a lot of cable. Cable mm. is expensive when it's kilometers in size. <laughs> so actually, like, yeah, so you said, for example, that LOFAR has actually these, all these antennas connected by actual cables. Yeah, so LOFAR... Where are, like, where are these cables going through? Okay, so LOFAR is uh, split into stations. So each antenna in each station is connected via, like, for example, coaxial cables, which is your TV cable, similar to that. Uh, so each antenna is connected to a small control unit via those cables. All the signal from all the control units are connected via fiber to a main processing facility in the Netherlands. Oh, wow. So they like go underground. Yeah, fiber broadband. <laughs> and, and to connect to the to Ireland, they actually go under the sea. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. They they use existing infrastructure, I think, or maybe they rolled a new fiber. I don't, I'm not entirely sure. Okay, business plan. We should invent Wi-Fi connection for radio antennas. But uh, there are there are some antennas proposed. They're called rapid antennas, uh, developed uh, in the US. And you can basically drop them in any field and you can transport them anywhere. And they're connected via, I think, something similar to Wi-Fi. Uh, but they're not operational yet. They haven't been tested yet. Oh. And your Wi-Fi needs to be very, very stable because you're looking at time delays in your signal. Mm. Your, the time that's recorded at each antenna, it has to be exactly the same. Okay, but then some, someone has been thinking about it. So no business no, no, no business no, no big money. <laughs> there's, there's not big money in radio astronomy, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you're looking then at the sun via radio waves. But what are you exactly, you particularly, are you trying to find? Um, so um, I've looked at a, a number of different things on the sun. For example, uh, at the moment I'm working uh, on seeing... Um, uh, accelerated particles inside or associated with coronal mass ejections. So during the solar eruptions, you get particles that are uh, are really very fast, and sometimes they can uh, be trapped inside the magnetic lines of coronal mass ejection, and those can emit in radio. Or the coronal mass ejections, because it's faster than the speed of travel, uh, speed of information travel in the solar atmosphere and beyond, even it can create the shock. And that shock, shocks are also, can also accelerate particles, and uh, those particles will emit in radio. So the radio is, at the moment, the best signature of seeing where these electric, uh, accelerated particles uh, happen. And then we can relate them to uh, different phenomena on the sun. So, for example, if we see accelerated particles we, uh, at the sides of a CME, we know there's a shock, the CME produces a shock, then if we see accelerated particles inside the CME, we know the particles were accelerated at some point during eruptions and they got trapped in the CME and uh, so on. Um, one thing um, about solar storms in general, so storms provoked by the sun. Um, I don't know if you noticed, probably yes, especially you know, as solar physicists, um, that the internet, like at regular intervals, the internet fills with articles about, oh my God, a new solar storm is coming and it will wipe out the entire civilization and people, uh, people will die and like it's going to be cataclysm and, and the end of everything. So apart from the fact that solar storms cannot be predicted, like you can't know like days and days before that something will erupt can you please ex explain that there are like that there are no actual consequences for people on earth and if a big storm comes uh, the biggest problem okay it's a lot of money lost but it's only two infrastructures yes so uh, uh, there's probably uh, common misconception about solar storms because uh, there were there were all these movies for example uh, Oh, we'd no, like to talk about oh, yeah. movies. Yeah. There yes. was this movie Knowing with Nicolas Cage. Oh, yes. Yeah, when the sun burns the atmosphere and then aliens come to pick up all the children <laughs> and save humanity. Uh, burns the atmosphere. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we actually watched this film at work. Like, yeah, we in, did. in this very meeting room. Where After we working hours. <laughs> yeah, ex yeah, that's true. After working yeah, hours. Yeah. So in this movie, um, I think the sun went red all of a sudden. 
and then a big solar eruptions or whatever you're trying to portray um, is heading towards Earth and basically burns the atmosphere and burns everything. And then some aliens decide to save humanity, but only pick a few children and <laughs> they bring them to a new planet with a couple of bunnies and <laughs> they live there happily ever after. Um, but yeah, uh, Nicolas Cage is in it. If you're into that, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Uh, uh, I too do late. <laughs> well, that is the the overall plot of the movie, but but you still watch it to see how it burns and exactly. how they rescue them. Uh, but it's it's in the trailers as well, so uh, it's not like I spoiled it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, it, that's not what actually happens. What happens is we get. Even for a massive event, we get the big CME, it hits the Earth. The first thing it does, it hits the satellite particles, energy particles hit the satellites. Um, the worst that can happen there is satellites are damaged, instruments on satellites are damaged, um, and the GPS signal will not be as accurate, so we won't be able to use our maps. Or, um, But that would also be, for example, GPS signal is important for other bigger things, like trains that rely on GPS, uh, for example, some snowplows rely on GPS and they need to know exactly what they are, where they are, so they don't fall into a ditch when they plow the snow. So there's there's bigger issues like this that rely on GPS and the GPS goes down, they'll be affected, but it wouldn't immediately affect a person right here on Earth. When the uh, CME interacts with the magnetosphere and uh, particles travel down along the poles, um, there is some radiation, obviously radiation around the poles, but then, uh, for example, if you have flights directed uh, over the poles, you could divert those. And we were not sure if the amount of radiation is too severe to people, for example. Uh, the worst part would be is if... Uh, so the way the CME hits the Earth and then induces currents in the atmosphere, which then induces currents in the ground, if the current is high enough, the worst case scenario is that we will be left without electricity for a few days. And that would happen to the most northern latitudes. For example, in the 1980s in, Can in Quebec in Canada, I think, uh, they, the, some transformers were burnt. Transformers are very, very expensive and they were without electricity there for a few days. And it, it costs a lot of money, but it wouldn't kill a person instantly the moment it reaches the earth. It would damage infrastructure and damage technology and people won't have Facebook probably or Instagram <laughs> which is probably which could be damaging for uh, some people <laughs> but it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't damage a person as in particles travel to a person and a person suddenly dies. They they may die because of lack of Instagram but <laughs> not directly because of the scleral mass ejection coming from the sun. <laughs> and then and obviously like losing losing a transformer like well that that's a lot of money. Lost. It's a lot of money lost <laughs> and replacing it and uh it it takes it would take a while. And that's why it's important to constantly monitor the sun. It is, it is. Electricity is is a luxury. We don't know we have. We have it, but we don't appreciate it enough. So <laughs> if you're suddenly left without electricity, especially the northern latitudes, then there's no heating, mm -hmm. uh, no lighting, no nothing. Yeah. Zombie land. But then, so you can't predict it that much in advance, but how close in advance can you predict it? Um, yeah, that's a good question. At the moment, um, when a big, big, big sunspots, uh, big sunspots show up on the sun, then we get a really big, complicated active region. There, uh, there are uh, people monitoring it. So we have space weather forecasters, we have normal weather forecasters and space weather forecasters. Uh, so for example, the Space Weather Prediction Center at NOAA in the US, and then we have the Met Office in the UK. They constantly monitor space weather. And if an eruption happens and a CME has an Earth-directed trajectory, they can predict it uh, one or two days in advance. And then they issue warnings and they write reports on this. But so far, no big event has happened. And these really big events that could have potentially impact are one in a hundred years. So they're not very likely at all. Oh, and uh, some, some years ago, there was one of these big events uh, that might have come to Earth, but it just glanced. Yeah, right? it just missed us. Yeah. Are, were we lucky or not? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not about being lucky. This event... Uh, 
solar eruptions happen, uh, no matter what we do, we just have to keep monitoring and be aware that they could pose a risk, but the, uh, it wouldn't be an apocalyptic risk, for example. It's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not a doomsday scenario, but it would cause a lot of damage. Uh, but on the other side, think about all the beautiful northern lights. Yeah, so actually predicting uh, a huge coronal mass ejection and being able to turn off all the satellites and, and the power grids and on the on the either side other side being able to see beautiful northern lights most like through most of the globe that exactly. would be awesome. You don't need electricity because you'll have the northern lights <laughs> lighting everything up. So. <laughs> Steph is thinking. What are you thinking about? No, I was thinking about like the radiation that we get from there. So in space, astronauts, if a big solar storm was to hit the Earth, astronauts would have to hide into shielded enclosures so they're not hit by too much radiation. Same with flights flying over the poles. But there's always incoming radiation in space and over the poles. So you always have to monitor the amount of radiation you receive. It's just that during big solar storms, there's an increased amount of radiation. So take precautionary measure not to be in the way of it. Okay, and on this note, let's have a little break from the hardcore science uh, and and let's play Cytagory. Cytagory? Yes, and the girls are still eating cookies. Stephanie has to explain the categories for today, but, oh, she's, right. e but she's eating a cookie. Mm. So, the Cytagory game, we have five categories and we have two minutes to answer it after we generate a random letter. So, to answer it, we use that random letter to start with. And our categories are, number one, solar telescopes. Uh, two, stuff that emits in radio. Three, things that explode in the universe. <laughs> uh, discoveries that can go in nature, and nature, the nature journal. And fifth, benefits of having your dog in the office. And that's because our guest and myself love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you, Stephanie, will have put the dog category and then we'll have put the solar telescopes category. We can no be very helpful, Diana, don't worry. Yeah. I'm setting the timer now. And yes, and you have to generate the letter, so please click on the bow. D. D. Okay. That's a nice... D like Diana. Yeah. Okay, so let's start in three, two, one now. Uh, benefits of having your dog in the office. Diana is happy. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Can they all start with Diana? <laughs> Stop the discoveries that can go in nature. Diana's research. <laughs> uh, solar telescopes. Diana's high. Diana's future antenna in the backyard. <laughs> okay, let's be serious now. Um, Solar telescopes. Uh, the, 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 no, that's not say no. Yeah, it wasn't there a telescope oh, in, in France starting. Non say decometric array, but it uh, has non say in front. The mm. uh, decometric array, comma non say. Oh, oh, D. Dynamics observatory, comma solar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think about. Hey, think the about something else. Uh, things that explode in the universe. Uh, dwarf. No, but those it are dwarf explode. stars are already exploded. <laughs> <laughs> those are po post erupted stars. Oh. This don't don't you classify stars with num with letters? Yeah, but there, there is no the damn. damn. I remember the, 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 the thingy, like the the letters. Things that explode in the universe. These categories are hard, and I thought that the D was out. Dynamite, it's in the universe. Oh, yes! Yes! yes. Good, one. <laughs> good one! Good one, good one, good one. Okay, solar telescopes. Uh, Stuff uh, that emits in radio. What emits in radio? Oh, uh, with D. Diodes. No, they don't. Um, dipoles. Dipoles. The Hertz dipole. Mm -mm. You can make into antenna. Oh. oh, well, we, 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 like, up to, like, 10 seconds to the end, we were with only one answer out of three, so we, we were doing, we recovered slightly. 
let's go straight to route number two and yes, let's and let's get better. Let's yeah, let's put an end to this disgrace. Oh, okay. Let it out. Okay. Three, two, one. Now. Solar telescopes. Owens Valley array. How you what? Owens Valley. It's a, it's an array of dishes in uh, the US, um, and now it's called it's actually called the expanded Owens Valley array. So we will refer to the to the older version. Yeah, we refer to the older one, the <laughs> not upgraded one. Oh, but now things that explode in the universe, all type stars. But I don't know if they explode. Oh, I don't remember if they're the big ones or the, or oh. the small ones. Oh, yeah. B, go be a nice girl. Wait. Oh, be a nice oh. guy, kiss me. Oh, I knew the one. Oh, be a nice girl, kiss girl, me. Girl, guy. We, yeah. we, we don't care. Oh, we... should be big. So oh, should be the big one. the different types of stars. Oh, be a nice girl, guy, kiss me. <laughs> We're not real astronomers. Oh no, we are fake astronomers. Yeah. Uh, discoveries that can go on nature. Uh, oh. Oh. Oh, benefit of having your dog in the office. Overall happiness. Yes. yes. <laughs> or well-being. Everything. Happiness. <laughs> Things that explode in the universe. We said the old type star. We, 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 can't, we can't be sure we that can. it's true, but... We are not real astronomers, so full disclosure, we are not responsible for what we are saying. No, we are, of course, because we're scientists. What is this? <laughs> but not real astronomers. Not real astronomers. <laughs> uh, discoveries discoveries can go in na nature. Uh, oh, 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 no. Um, On the, and then you can say whatever you want. On coral heating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think no, that doesn't no. work. Um, overall, overall something. I oh, know, but that was already for the category number five. Oh, oh. no! <laughs> We're really bad today at this game. So why is it called Owens Valley, by the way? Uh, because it is in Owens Valley. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I thought it was the name of the guy, like the guy who paid everything. And I was thinking valley because maybe the shape or something. No, it was in a valley, but like the guy paid for this telescope and he's like, ah, let's call it like me. Okay. No, no, there's a place called Owens Valley. And by the way, Stephanie, just to put your just to just to put your your conscience like in peace with yourself and with a quick check, yes, the old type stars are the big ones, so the blue giants. So yes, they do explode. Yay. Okay, so we have been scientifically <laughs> we have been scientifically okay. Yes. Okay, let's go for the last round okay wait <laughs> okay s s it is <laughs> uh, what a disgrace okay. solar telescope solar telescope <laughs> three two one we need the timer now solar telescope, telescope. sdo solar dynamics observatory sdo oh, yeah. stuff that emits in radio sun, sun. yes <laughs> yes oh we got the best letter now Things that explode in the universe. Stars. Supernova. Stars. Supernova. Supernova. Yes. Stars. Oh, we're, we're, getting, we're getting there. Discoveries that can go in nature. Solar corona heating. <laughs> <laughs> solar corona what? It, it, it is known as the corona heating problem, but it's obviously the solar corona, so corona heating. Like when it's cold and you need to heat. Oh, so heating. Okay. Yeah, okay. then we will ask Diana what it is. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Benefits oh, no. of having your dog in the office. Solar. <laughs> <laughs> um, sunny day. Uh, solitude is gone. What? <laughs> because you're in oh, yeah, uh, because you're in company. Yeah, that's good. Solitude is gone. Yes. Who? With this Stress demo? reliever. Yes, oh, stress yes. reliever. It actually, I think there's a study that shows if you pet your dog, it releases. Really? You, you calm down. Yes. Really? Yes. yes. And oh. then if you breathe at the same pace as your dog, it makes you feel calmer. What? Yeah, that's true. Dogs rule. Dogs are great. Very fast. And so we finished. Yeah, and we were great with this round. So at 30 seconds left, I'm going to stop the timer. Puff. Whoa. So Whoa. what is solar coronal heating? Oh, where do nobody I knows, and that's why if we discover it, it will go on nature. 
But okay, so what do you call solar thermal heating, or what do you refer to as? So uh, the reason why coronal heating is a problem is because the sun has uh, different layers, and then the atmosphere also has different layers. Uh, what we see on the sun is the solar surface, we call the photosphere, and the photosphere has five thousand six hundred Kelvin temperature. Uh, so it's quite cool compared to the solar atmosphere, which is up to a million Kelvin temperature. Mm -hmm. And it's still uh, unknown. There are many theories, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of arguments over them. It's still uh, unknown what exactly heats up the corona. It's believed it has something to do with the fact that the sun is uh, has ma magnetic activity and has solar cycles, and there are little processes in the corona, like possibly little solar flares or different waves that interact and they heat the corona from the a few thousand degrees Kelvin to millions of degrees Kelvin. But that's a crazy amount of difference. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, that, and, 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 and nobody knows still, like, yeah, nobody's sure. So this is one of, one of these kind of problems that uh, if you make a conference about it and put a bunch of people in the same room, they will just argue. Yes, they will fight. They'll probably fight. There'll be fist fights. <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> wow. We should organize a conference about Corona heating. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Hosted here at University of Helsinki. Yeah, it's going to be great. Wow, that's very interesting. Well, mm -hmm. the sun is a giant plasma ball, and the sol there's so much plasma in the solar atmosphere. There's so many plasma processes happening that we don't really know. We don't really know which plasma processes actually heat the Corona. Okay. Yeah, that would definitely go in nature. Now I <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be a big nature result. It would be all over news, and maybe even a Nobel Prize. Yeah, could be a Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. solving the coronal heating. That's me. <laughs> Good. We would need another, another physicist Nobel Prize female winner like exactly. you just had. Yes. Yeah. But hopefully, this problem uh, will be solved in the future with new generations of telescopes that can see probably more in detail? Um, so, uh, yes and no. So, um, there are different theories and a lot of these theories are based on simulations of what could possibly happen. Um, and future telescopes, um, if we had, we would need something that could zoom in on the sun a lot. At the moment, we can see about seven, the smallest scales we can see are about 700 kilometers on the surface of the sun, which is still quite high. Uh, it's, it's very good for what we have, but for coronal heating, we have something, a lot of really small scale process heating the sun, we wouldn't see them. So um, we could also, one way to do this is to observe any signatures of particles accelerated in radio or thermal signatures in radio, but then again, you need a very, very sensitive telescope, uh, which we still don't have, or maybe we already have it, but we don't know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's a lot of, um, we need to take a lot of observations to try and distinguish between all the theories out there. Cool. Well, let's hope that the problem will be solved in the yeah. near future. Then we solve hopefully, all the stars. Hopefully by you. Yay. Yay. That's a very interesting problem. But now we can go into the anecdote. So thank you, Diana, so much for our solar, solar, spectacular solar talk. Yeah, thank I'm so you. happy that we interviewed my colleague and we thank talked you. about the sun. <laughs> Finally, it was Finally. about time. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's right there every single day and you never think about what it's doing. Yeah. But that's what you guys do. Yeah. Every single we look at it every single yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. We are probably the category of people in uh, that see the sun the most in Finland, especially <laughs> especially in the winter. That's funny. Especially in the winter when it's night, the entire time we see the sun every day. Anyway, yeah, that's great. That's cool. But Erica, can you tell us a little bit about your anecdote? Yes. So uh, it took a bit of time to think about what should I talk. Uh, for this episode but finally at, at the end and actually very 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 shortly before the episode i finally got the idea of what to talk about which is coming back to this question of solar storms or like to the issue of solar storms we are going to talk about the biggest solar storm ever recorded by humans which is known as the carrington event 
So basically what happened, uh, that was in 1859, and that's why we have some records. Um, there were two uh, amateur astronomers, both English, and their names are where? Richard Carrington and Richard Hodgson. <laughs> how, how, how would you pronounce Hudson. it? Hodgson. It's very hard. Hodgson, anyway. These two, these two, the Richards, okay, we call them the Richards. They were looking at the sun. Not sure if I said the period, but that was uh, um, uh, uh, between August 28th to September the 2nd, 1859. They were looking, uh, and on the September 1st, they were looking at the sun and made the first ever observations of a solar flare in, independently. Uh, so they actually saw on the sun this very, very bright uh, white light. They were looking at the sun in white light. Um, and Carrington he even made a drawing of how this flare was looking. And if I find, I, if I will find a nice picture, I can, uh, we can then link it in the description box. The, the flare that they both saw, but then the event got famous as the Carrington event. And now I know why, because it's impossible to pronounce Odgson, but ah, so hard, anyway. Um, so this Carrington event, uh, for which Carrington saw uh, the, the flare, was associated with a huge corona mass ejection, which was very, very, very fast and very big. So normally a corona mass ejection takes between two and three days to reach Earth. This one took only 17.6 hours to travel 1,000, uh, sorry, 150 million kilometers. So this storm hit Earth, and the fascinating thing is that Aurora, so what, exactly what Diana was saying before, that when there is a huge storm, then uh, the Aurora can come uh, to lower latitudes, but this storm was so big that Aurora was seen as far as Colombia. Oh, wow. wow. Yes, and... Wow. Um, People who have written about this storm said that you didn't like you could be outside in the night sky reading a book and there would be complete light too. Wow! And it would be green light. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, <laughs> I so want to see one. Oh, wow, that's impressive. I wonder what people who never, like, for example, someone in Colombia, who, would, who what they would have thought like what on earth is happening, you know, back yeah, then. Yeah, and then yeah, back then exactly that you yeah obviously there is no internet and like yeah in eighteen fifty nine like people yeah, were like okay the sky is green all of a sudden some greater power <laughs> the sun <laughs> the gods yeah. must be the gods God. um and yes and then what happened so as we were saying a big solar storm would disrupt power grids transformers satellites obviously in 1859 there was nothing like that <laughs> but what happened there was one electrical thing which was the telegraph which was completely disrupted so that was huge damages even in 1859 so yeah if we had this event now like yeah the... actually there was so much current that telegraphs were running without batteries they disconnected the batteries and the telegraphs were still running whoa i didn't this, know that the, this this is um I'm pretty sure it's from this character event, but that's what happened. They disconnected batteries and they could still communicate via telegraphs and saying that their batteries are off and they don't know what's happening and still working. <laughs> and there's actually, there, there are the telegraphs messages are available online somewhere. There is documentation of that. Okay, so oh, if we I find that, I... we can also link yeah. that in the description box. That yes. is very cool. And imagine like... All this, uh, so if something like that would happen now, okay, we would have a lot of problems, a huge uh, loss of money, but we can totally explain what has happened. Exactly. Imagine in 1859 that like the telegraph was off, auroras were everywhere, and like nobody could understand what was going on. Yeah. That must have been very scary. So yeah, that was the the anecdote for today. But now we know that some if something like that happens today. As Diana told us, not today. Solar minimum. Okay, maybe not in a few years. In a few, <laughs> if something like that happens in a few years, as Diana has told us, we will have a lot of problems to satellites and power grids, and no Instagram. But we'll have Aurora, and we'll still be alive. Yes. Contrary to movies. <laughs> <laughs>
got this trend. I heard a couple of weeks ago, I don't know, maybe two months ago, you, that you have some sort of classification of the strength of the solar activity. Mm-hmm. And there was some like higher activity. Um, so uh, there we have a lot of different classifications. So if we look directly on the sun and classify solar flares, uh, we have a classification that goes A, B, C, M, and X. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah, where X is the strongest flare, mm-hmm. so the biggest flare. Um, X-class flare have potential impacts if, they're Earth, uh, if, if the CME accompany that flare is Earth-directed, because they're really big flares. And the Carrington event is believed to be an X-40 event? Something or, like that. It's believed to be, an, uh, at, like in this past solar cycle, the biggest flare was an X-9, which was quite a nice, really pretty, I call it pretty because it's a nice eruption in the sun, um, it didn't come towards us or anything like that, but it, the biggest flare was an X9, where it's predicted that the character event was something like an X40, which is very, very high, which we haven't observed before ever since the space era. We haven't observed that. Um, and the scale is also logarithmic. Oh. So it's a very big flare. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I'm trying to Google what was that. Yeah, uh, what X45 was magnitude. Oh, yes. Yeah, might have had an X45 magnitude. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, the biggest flare that we observed during Space Era was an X17, or maybe there was an X20 something. Okay, so, Diana, thank you very much. Oh, we're so Thank you. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just forgot we're still recording. I was just. Stephanie liked the Stephanie liked the, the the conversation so much that she forgot to yes, record. Oh, it's so interesting. That's all. It's so interesting. Uh, I was saying that Diana, thank you very much. Thank you for for being with us. And and yeah, um, have a very sunny day, even if it's cloudy. Yes, and safe <laughs> dreams, everyone. And. No big solar storms predicted for the next few years. So and don't panic even if one happens. Yeah, if one happens, don't. It's all fine. <laughs> Thank you very much. See, See you, you in time. two weeks. Bye. Bye. The science. Baseball.